Welcome to Five Lives to 50, the sustainability podcast for product managers. I'm Shelly Metcalf, and I'm with my two co-hosts, Jim Fava and Neil D'Souza. And in today's episode, we are kicking off a three-part series where we take a deeper look into how to embed sustainability into the StageGate process. You might recall us talking about the StageGate process in episode four, and in this series, we'll be taking a deeper look into each StageGate. In this episode, part one, we'll be looking at the discovery and scope phases first. So for our listeners, why don't we start off with a question about what is unique or specific about how to embed sustainability at these two stage gates? Great question. I think I'd like to contrast that with how experts think of sustainability. Um, Not going into the definition of sustainability, but at its core, what we're trying to do is understand what are the implications of different decisions across the entire life cycle of a product. It manifests in different ways when you do reporting, when you do communications uh, for marketing. But essentially, the experts have always looked at this from the perspective of how can you optimize for decision making uh, in the context of being more sustainable across the lifecycle of products. I think for a product manager, this takes a different, you need to pivot slightly differently. It is, what are the decisions that one makes across the different stage gate? I mean, uh, as a product manager, this is your world. The different stage gates are six gates of, of product development. And how do you use sustainability as a lens to look at those decisions so that you can make better choices? And I think this different pivot is, I think, what is essentially different about about when you view sustainability from 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 the angle of a product manager and i think it's also quite relevant because you cannot have the same level of complexity considered by a product manager across these stage gates right it's broken down into smaller pieces and i think the ability for us to provide information to these managers uh, in a way that enables them to make these choices is central and i think that's very different from what typically happens in the world of experts in the field of sustainability. Yeah, I think the the part that I find interesting is that I really do see in my career over the last 40 years, (laughs) turns out my kids are (laughs) that age, so it's been a long time. Anyway, that's um, how you you remember how long you've been working. That's how I've been working, how old the kids are. But I, I think that to me that I've always sort of worked on the uh, the life cycle of the sustainability side of the house. I've never been able to actually have an honor and a privilege of working within a company in a product manager, but we've had lots of interactions between the sustainability and life cycle community and using the results of those assessments or, or work that we, we did had to figure out a way to translate that to the product managers and to the decision makers within the company you know, on the brand, on the brand and the product level. And I think the biggest difficulty in this whole sustainability field is being able to translate the outcome or the significance of the impact, whether it's a, a greenhouse gas, whether it's biodiversity, uh, whether it's things like, uh, you know, the extraction water, of oil, waste, you know, yes, exactly. water waste mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing into a language to the, you know, decision makers in the time over their six stages of the stage K process, uh, at each stage, they got to pass a series of tests and things to go to the next stage. So I really think it's how do we translate the results to the information that the decision maker can use to make a decision? And that's where they got to really work together. And so they began to work on that translation. And so a lot of the sustainability field I see in the future are going to be uh, translators. 
being able to translate the outcome so that the decision makers have the information at the right time to make a decision as they go through the stage gate process. Yeah, there's two interesting things you brought up. One is I've heard need to make trade-offs between the stage gates and also this idea of having to translate perhaps across the stage gates. What else can you maybe say for product managers to consider about making trade-offs or the translation that they might need to be making? I think the trade-offs are happening not in between stage gates, right? It's within stage gates you're making trade-offs. And I think it's the trade-off comes second to what I would say a different view to broaden the, the perspective that you're using to make those decisions. I think that comes first, right? The trade-off comes uh, as a consequence of it. But I think it makes a lot of sense to look at this stage gate by stage gate. And you know, I think um, following from the last podcast that we where we introduced the different stage gates, we use the same example, right? Batteries. And if we look at each of the stage gates across from this view of we're designing a battery, I think this this could make it easier for us to understand. I think let's start with with the discovery process, right? This is uh, where things become or could be very different. How how do people look at the discovery phase? This is the first stage of the stage gate process where you're trying to look for ideas, right? What is it that you can build? How can you improve an existing product? Or how, what kind of new product could you think of in the first place? And sustainability has never been a source of these ideas until recently. The idea is how do you use sustainability as one of those things, just like we use technology, we use new demographics, we use uh, regulations, we use geopolitics to create new products, to create new supply chains. How does sustainability factor into this as another key criteria to instigate an idea? I give an example in batteries, right? So you're a product manager, and one of the things that's a that's a driver for new ideas is, is there a different powertrain that I can design a battery for? E-mobility is already has a sustainability lens to it, right? And it, it assumes certain things about demographics, right? And there's a huge buying potential for it. And I think if you look at what happened in the automotive space until in, in the last five years, I would say everybody's racing towards e-mobility. They're all trying to transition their powertrains from, from internal combustion engines to, to at least hybrids, if not complete electric and alternative fuels like, uh, like green hydrogen and so on and so forth. There's also regulations that are becoming more and more important as idea generators. You would never think of this, but, but when people are constrained on what they're allowed to do and not do when they're creating products, this creates new ideas. So if we need to create a supply chain for an alternative supply chain for batteries that we're making, the regulations in the US, for example, you know, around inflation reduction and the kind of quotas that you have, it's a big thing in the automotive space right now where it makes a lot of sense to produce in, in the US. And one of the reasons is geopolitics, but another reason is sustainability. So what are the, what are the different opportunities that you can identify through the lens of sustainability? to create new successful products. I think this is the first thing that happens often very late in the process of, of development today. It's not often that a person making fenders of cars or batteries will think of sustainability as one of those drivers. I think before the automotive uh, revolution of, of green mobility came about, I think this wasn't one of those things that, that many product managers in the battery space actually thought about. Hey, you know, this is something that we could look at. But this has become massive now, right? People are, have built new mines, built new supply chains, looking at changing factories for this is massive. And I think this is, this is one key thing to understand what the opportunities are and develop ideas around 
through the lens of sustainability, I would say. Yeah, uh, Neil, I, I, I like that idea. Uh, building off of it, the thing that I find very interesting is that we've been using the term life cycle thinking, uh, hotspot analysis in our podcast, and it's more broadly uh, you know, accepted. But I think the, the thing when I think about the auto battery and you begin to look at a hotspot analysis or a, a simplified life cycle thinking on those various stages of the battery from the extraction of the, you know, the raw materials to the making of the battery to the use of the battery and what happens at the, at the end of life, you can very quickly identify that their issues are related to the extraction of the raw materials. So now you've got cobalt and lithium and graphics and a variety of other things. So you've got suppliers who are providing those materials and how are they relating to the environment? How are they treating their, their workers from a human rights standpoint? So you got you could you could begin to do this sort of hotspot analysis and identify that early on in the discovery and the scoping stage. And you not only do you have extraction of raw materials and end of life, but you could also have things related to the use of chemicals. But ultimately you want to get to the point early on by flagging what are those hotspots that we're going to have to use not from a negative standpoint, and I like the way Neil talked about it, from a positive, how you can use those to really now create innovation or new ideas of how to change your product or redesign your product to reflect making sure that materials that you use in your product are done in an environmentally safe way and does not have a supplier child labor or slave labor kind of thing that sometimes happens. Mm -hmm. So I think this is becoming a very critical stage to really get a clarity on what those impacts are. And then that drives the scoping and the, the various stages. Exactly. The, exactly. And I think, look at this, you're a little downstream as well, right? The fastest growing automotive segment in Norway is e-cars, right? And it's principally they have nearly 100% green electricity. So the environmental impact of your car is not just in the production, but it's actually shifted to uh, use phase, right? And an electric car in Norway has a very different life than an electric car in China or India or uh, the UAE. And the kind of battery you design, in fact, the kind of car you design for those areas is very different. And I think this is where opportunities come in, right? In 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 the automotive space and battery space. At the end of the day, there's a there's a saying in German: "We all cook with cold water." So the question is, what dish you're making, right? And differentiating through the understanding of how will you create an added advantage by understanding how this product is going to live over the lifetime is one of those key. I, I think is a is a extremely valuable driver for ideas, right? For for what you can do different. Should I design a low capacity or a high capacity battery for somewhere in, in Norway where there's, you know, lots of e-charging equipment around compared to in the middle of the desert? Should we think of e-mobility in the first place in regions of Africa, right? These, these are things that, that I think play, should be playing or could be playing. And I think to a large extent, what we're seeing, at least in the automotive space, I mean, batteries have many applications. Everything is going to have a battery soon. But if you're looking at the automotive space, this is already happening. People are trying to optimize capacities and sizes and power ratings uh, of these batteries. To It's this, can we get to the, the thousand kilometer range for this particular car? Or yeah. could we get to a 20 minute charging for this particular car? And depending on where you're selling this car, makes all the difference of whether your car is going to be successful or not. So I think the, the life cycle perspective forces you to think of this, if not enables you. Yeah. And just a quick example on in, in Costa Rica here, 
We have 99% of the uh, electricity is generated from renewable sources. They're beginning to have electric vehicle charging stations around, not very, not very many of them yet. But the, the barrier right now is getting sufficient number of charging stations up. And then normally a lot of people buy older cars here, which are obviously don't fall in that, in that category. So it's going to still be a, a challenge to move us towards the, the electric vehicle. It's a perfect country for it uh, because of the renewable resources used for generating electricity. But there's some barriers, I think, to, to slow it down. I, I don't think it will slow it down, right? I think it's just going to be delayed. Uh, there are certain economies yeah. where people can't buy new cars and they don't buy new cars. The uh, second-hand market is pretty big. But Dave, if you think of when did the mass market actually address e-mobility? And it's not really long ago, three, four years ago. That's when things started rolling off the shelves in significant enough numbers. When these cars reach their end of first customer life, They'll be sold forward. And I think this is where there is there's huge opportunity in this space. And I think this comes to the second stage gate, right? Which is scoping, where you're developing you're developing a hypothesis exactly like this, like these kind of hypotheses that we've been talking about, right? Should we design cars that have second lives? And there are some manufacturers who don't do this. Should we look at different kinds of powertrains for a different portfolio of cars. And I think as a product manager, one of the things that you're doing is you're trying to minimize the number of moving parts to maximize the applications. You don't want to create a new battery for every single kind of car. You want to try and stand there as much as you can. It's not always possible, but the hypothesis is going to be things like, can we get a thousand kilometer range? Can we get 20 minute charging? How many years can this car run, run given the capacity of the battery and the power rating of the battery and therefore the number of cycles that the battery can be charged and discharged? I think this requires a life cycle thinking. As we described, there's many more ideas one can generate when you look at this in the context of not just I'm creating something so that it goes into a car or it goes into a power tool or something like that. But what will that particular tool be like at the end? And as a battery manufacturer, I'm very careful to cordon this off, right? A person who's making batteries is not the same as the person who's making the power tool or the car. Keep that in mind. So you're designing for something where not necessarily will you know where this battery is going to end up. And that's where this lifecycle thinking really, really plays in the considerations around what are the different scenarios and what are the hypotheses that you're creating and that you want to test then. I really like this point that I hear you both alluding to, which if I were to summarize, it sounds like use sustainability as a lens for identifying opportunities. And as we move towards uh, wrapping up, what is one other point that you would like to highlight to our listeners about what would be essential to take away and think about for these stage gates and how to embed sustainability? I think in these two cases, one of the best tools, it, it needs to be quantitative. I have a personal opinion around paper straws. While a paper straws reduce the amount of plastic waste across every other environmental criteria, whether it's water or total volume of waste or carbon or energy, it's actually the poorer option. And I think being quantitative about what is your hypothesis? What do I want to test? Is it, is it a viable option or not is key. And I think one of the best quantitative tools we have is the life cycle approach. It's not just giving you the breath, but also giving you the mathematics that allow you to test, is this going to work? Is this the more viable option or not? And I think the the other aspect of life cycle thinking, which I, I don't say life cycle analysis, right? I'm saying life cycle thinking because if you think about it, costs, compliance, safety, 
all of this requires this kind of thinking. So I think it provides a very good frame that that has come from the sustainability community and the LCA community that is available now. And I think it's scalable now uh, for product managers to use. The thing that I think is critical is who the stakeholders are, both internally and externally. Because initially, it was really focusing on getting the materials and the parts and building the product and selling it. And then other people took responsibility further down on the the product lifecycle. But what's happening now is that the design is going to have to deal with what happens if the useful life of the product is over in five years, 10 years kind of time frame. So you need to identify right at the beginning when you start identifying that, okay, end of life is an issue that we're going to have to deal with and uh, address in our stage gate process. We're going to have to get to the point where who are going to be our partners going forward. It's just not company A doing everything from A to Z. It's basically company A recognizing there's going to be company B, C, and D uh, who are going to need, we need to collaborate and partner with as you go down that process. So there are, there's a c- company in place to manage the recycling or manage the recovery of the materials, like in the battery, that can be uh, reused and recycled. So to me, the identification of those stakeholders goes hand in hand with the environmental impacts and social impacts uh, that are identified in these early stages. I think you made some great points to leave our listeners with. Be quantitative, figure out who your stakeholders and partners are, and use sustainability and life cycle thinking to the lens for how you discover opportunities. And that's it for this episode of Five Lives to 50. You can catch our next episode next week, which is part two of our three-part series, where we'll be going into the business case, develop, and test and validate stage gates. And we'd like to hear from you. Was this your first time listening to our podcast, or have you been a regular with us since we started in the spring of 2023? Please write to us and give us your feedback. Or if you've got a burning question that we haven't answered, Maybe it can be a topic for a future episode. You can email us at contact at fivelifes to 50com or you can find us on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening and see you next time.